0: Please turn with me to the book of James, chapter one. We will be looking at verse twenty six. James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. I thank you for the privilege of presenting your word this day. Please give me wisdom and understanding in your spirit. Please help us all here today to examine our hearts, to examine our lives in light of what James is saying to us. Help us to be honest with ourselves. To to know that if we profess to be who we are not, we can deceive ourselves, but you, O God, see our hearts. Our hearts are open before you. Father, send your spirit to convict us, to encourage us, to equip us, to build us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen there's a time to offer the gospel freely. Lloyd-Jones said if a man is preaching the gospel right, he will be accused accused of being an antinomian because he offers it with such freedom. Just come to Jesus. Don't worry about anything else. come to Jesus. But as we see in Scripture, there's also a time for self-examination. Because there are many who in, in some ways believe that they have come to Jesus for various reasons when actually that is not the case. And this is one of the reasons why we must have constant exposure to the gospel. There are people who have heard the gospel a thousand times thinking they were a Christian. And one day God changed their hearts and they realized, I didn't actually have true faith Before, But there are many who are self-deceived, and this is one of the things that James has been showing us in this text. Daniel Doriani, in his commentary, says that he was once part of a large team mission project. He said, most of us stayed in the same house, so we were together many hours a day. One man rose first daily. We spotted him on the porch reading the Bible at sunrise. One evening he told me, I am excited to go to bed each night because I'm that much closer to my time alone with God in the morning. I can't tell you how close I feel to God. Doriani said, I felt like a spiritual dung beetle next to this lion of the faith. But Doriani says, months later, our spiritual lion was in legal trouble for getting drunk and doing things that were both sins and crimes. Worse yet, he had been doing such things for years, our spiritual giant was a giant hypocrite. Or how about men like Ravi Zacharias, spending his lifetime defending a faith that we now have to question whether or not he actually embraced. And I believe that such a story is true of many people. Some of which we eventually find out about, some which will go to their grave and you will not see them in heaven when you die. In verses 19 and 20, we learned the character needed to hear the word. We must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In verse 21, we learned that true Christians receive the word with meekness. They, they accept the word as true. Believe it to be true. And then in verses 22 to 25, we learned that true Christians are doers of the word. And one of the things that I emphasized last week is that we are not to gauge our faith simply by our desire or willingness to receive or hear the word, but rather our obedience to the word. And we saw that those who believe that they are right with God simply because they hear the word are deceiving themselves if they are not also doers of the word. James said in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. But James does not stop there. He takes the argument one step further. And he does this by telling us in verse 26 what what false religion looks like. And then in verse 27, he gives us a picture of true religion. Why does he do this? Because he knows what is said in verses 22 to 25 can lead to false comfort. There are professing Christians who hear the word. And they say to themselves, well, I conform to this. I, I, I do good things. I'm, I, I think I'm doing all of the, the right things that Christianity requires of me. But in reality, their faith is not real. They are simply conforming externally. There seems to be good work there. This person is involved in the church but is not truly converted. He is a Judas who who walked with Christ daily. None of the other disciples suspecting him. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? You notice everybody wasn't pointing the finger to Judas. They didn't know. This man was doing all of the right things while his heart was rotten. I think of a woman like Bethan Lloyd-Jones, the, the wife of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He married this woman thinking she was a Christian. But then came under conviction during his ministry that she was not truly a Christian. She had not truly embraced the faith. Even child Washer, Washer, the, the wife of Paul Washer, converted after their marriage. But he was so convinced that she was a Christian because she was willing to go into the jungle, to share the gospel with people, to do things that would make grown men cry. That's how eager and zealous she was to, to get the gospel out there, but one day realized, I have not embraced this gospel that I'm taking to other people. She, she was at an event and, and saw a woman, a prostitute, eaten up with AIDS, and she said to herself, I'm no better than this woman. Here's my husband, this preacher. And I hear the gospel of the time, worked as a missionary, but eventually realized her heart was not right. MacArthur says the doer of the word is not simply someone who is involved in religious Activity. That's where we give ourselves a false comfort. I'm involved in religious activity, therefore I am a doer of the word. So, in verses 26 and 27, James gives us some more clarity here that that it's not simply about conforming externally. If you heard the sermon last week and say, you know what, I, I, I do obey. That's good. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. Verse 26 If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and notice he says, anyone. This applies to all people who think they are religious. It can apply to each and every one of you here. It applies to pastors, to theologians, professors, anyone. How many men have spent their lives preaching a gospel they never embraced? What a tragedy. The Greek word used here for religious means living according to the tenets of a sect Or religion, especially the entailing ethical requirements. This is the word Paul used to speak of his religion as a Pharisee. In Acts 26 5, he said, According to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So the emphasis here is on outward practice, doing what religion requires. So the reason why a person believes he is religious is because he is outwardly conforming to the principles and ethics taught in Christianity. He does not steal. He doesn't murder people. He doesn't commit adultery. He comes to church. He reads the word. He does all of the right things. In other words, if anyone among you thinks he is practicing Christianity... And James goes on and does not bridle his tongue. And I don't want to spend much time on a tongue today because James will deal with it thoroughly in chapter 3, but we're going to look a little bit at this. To to bridle here means to control. We, We bridle a horse in order to control it. So in this case, this person does not restrain his tongue from sinful speech. So James is talking about the person who who thinks he is practicing Christianity but does not control his tongue. James says this person deceives his own heart. So the person who thinks he is practicing Christianity but does not restrain his tongue from sin is deceiving his own heart. Just as it is possible for people to deceive themselves because of their hearing of the word, it is also possible for people to deceive themselves because they conform outwardly to Christianity. This person says, yes, I I, I pass all of the test. I, I love hearing the word and I accept the word as true. I don't deny its truthfulness. And I'm a good person. I I come to church. I do the right things. This person is so caught up in his religious practice, in good works, that they believe they are a child of God. But James says they are deceiving their own hearts. What What is this person deceiving his heart about? James says this one's religion is useless or worthless. So this person is deceiving his heart about the usefulness of his religion. About the usefulness of his religion to save his soul. The person who does this, his religion cannot save him because it is, because it is not true Christianity. Christianity. The word useless here means empty, profitless, vain, no benefit. Does does this describe genuine Christianity to you? Absolutely not. In fact, Paul uses this word in Acts chapter 14. When, when, When the crippled man had been healed, the people began to worship Paul and Barnabas and call them gods. So what did Paul say? He said, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Vain there, same word. Same word that James uses. So the same word for vain or useless is used to describe both the idolatry of those who thought Paul and Barnabas were gods and those who seem religious but do not restrain their tongues. That's pretty serious. If you are practicing Christianity outwardly and doing the right things Externally, but your speech is evil. Your religion is as vain as those who worship idols made by hands. That's pretty serious. That is not a religion that saves. John Gill said this person's religion is useless and unprofitable to himself and others. All his preaching, praying, hearing, and attendance on the ordinances will be of no avail to him. And he, notwithstanding these, by his evil tongue brings a scandal and reproach upon the ways of God and doctrines of Christ. Such religion is useless in saving this person, and useless in representing Christ, and useless in everything else. It is vain. It has as much worth as an idol. (coughs) What does such religion look like? What did Christ say In Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy And lawlessness. If you were living in Israel. At the time of Christ. If you were a Jew. In the time of Christ. And you wanted to know. What does a religious person look like? You would go to the scribes. And the Pharisees. And you would say that's religion. And Christ said. You appear righteous before men. Like a whitewashed tomb. You're beautiful outwardly. Oh, you appear to be so good, you, 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 you pray and you do all these outward things and you, you appear to be keeping the law of God, but, but inwardly there is nothing but hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here are people who seemed to be doing good works. There was an outward focus on doing the right things to appear religious before men, but inwardly they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And we know that the religion was useless. Jesus warned of their religion. He said, beware of their leaven, referring to their doctrine. He called them blind leaders of the blind. All their religious activity was was vain and worthless. It was of no profit to them. We got to look at our profession of faith in light of that. Does this describe you? Is there hypocrisy in you? I mean, you know your heart. And James says, your tongue will reveal it. So, one of the ways in which we examine ourselves to know whether or not we are hypocrites is to examine what comes out of our mouths. So, there are two things I want to draw out of this text. Again, because we will deal with the tongue very extensively in chapter three. But, two things I want to draw out first of all, is that the tongue reveals what is in the heart. The tongue reveals what is in the heart. You go to people in the streets. They curse you. And blaspheme the name of God to your face. And say, you don't know my heart. I'm afraid we do. This is what James is saying. Who you are will be revealed in what you say. And this explains why why James isolates sins of the tongue. This is why Christ can say, by, by every word you speak, you, you will be judged. That, that your speech condemns you. Because your speech reveals your heart. We read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And he says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew fifteen, ten and 11. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And Peter asked Christ, What are you talking about? Explain this to us. So Christ said, Do you not yet understand that that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. MacArthur said a corrupt and unholy heart will eventually be exposed by corrupt and unholy speech. If the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not either. Matthew Henry said, there is such quick intercourse between the tongue and the heart that the one may be known by the other. And so many today don't like this. Don't you dare judge me by what I say. Don't you dare do that. You cannot judge a book by its cover, we say. In other words, you can fool people by doing good works. You can appear to be practicing Christianity while there is evil in your heart, but your tongue is so connected to your heart that even while you are doing good works, if there is evil in your heart, it will eventually show in your speech. Have you ever met a professing Christian who seemed to be zealous for the faith and appeared to be a solid Christian man. But, but there is one thing that did not quite sit right with you. What was it? His speech. You say, that man says some, some, he says some sketchy things sometimes. Maybe words slip out that should not. And we're not talking about a, a new believer who's learning new things. Habits. We're talking about men who pretend to be fathers in the faith, seasoned in the faith, with an uncontrolled tongue. Or maybe there's a person who appears to be a Christian, but who constantly gossips about other people. Constantly. This is his life. Gossiping. But but he does so many good works, though. So many good works. He's involved in so much, but there is constant gossip. Gossip is a very real thing in Reformed churches. You wouldn't believe the things that that people in different churches know about what's going on in different churches. How would you know that? Why, Why would you know that? Who told you that? Professing Christians did it. Things that don't concern them. Taking it to other people. For for the sake of, of, of sharing some juicy information. Or how about slander? Professing Christians who make it their business to give people and churches bad names. This is now my life mission, to make sure everybody knows how bad you are. Slander. Thomas Watson, I think he was said of Augustine that he had engraved into his kitchen table, he who loves another's name to blast, this table is not for him, so let him fast. In other words, you don't bring slander and gossip to my table. Unacceptable for a Christian. Or what about anger? You ever met a professing Christian who, who who seems to be working hard to advance the kingdom, but they are constantly lashing out at people angrily, angrily with their tongue? They use their tongue not as not as a balm to heal but as a sword to strike constantly. I mean, you, you see them dealing with other Christians and, and not just in person, but, but what about Facebook? What, what about online? So some of the conversations you, you see with people, you say, there's no way this person who, who is held in high esteem by so many Christians is actually a Christian when he, when he can't even say a kind word. Grace does not exist in his speech. And dear friends, there's a time to be sharp. But our speech should be seasoned with both grace and truth. Or what about telling lies? A person who professes Christ, but they constantly lie. And you catch them in it. They they, they provide great service to the church. Great service. Seem like great Christians. But you know they're lying. What is that? There are so many ways to sin with the tongue that that James calls the tongue a world of iniquity. An entire world. Many years ago, I heard David Murray give, give, a, give an illustration of this. He, he, he says, the, you look at the world and all the continents on the world. That's how it is with, with sins of the tongue. There, there's a continent of gossip and a continent of slander and a, and a continent of flattery, a continent of backbiting. There's so many ways to sin with the tongue that it is a world of iniquity. Dear friends, if you cannot control your tongue, it is most likely because your heart is not right. Slips of the tongue are often the heart leaking out what is truly there. Not all the time, but but most likely. There was this guy who was a, a pastor on, on Facebook and And he slipped cursing in his sermon. He said, oops. Why would a man do that unless he talked like that all of the time? Sins of the tongue. What comes out of the mouth is what is in the heart. And maybe you watch your tongue well around other people. Maybe you're disciplined enough to, to watch your tongue around others, but, but dear friend, what would your spouse say about your tongue? What do those who are closest to you say about your tongue? What would your co workers say about your tongue? Would your co-worker say, This man has a controlled tongue? This is cause for serious self-examination. What does your tongue reveal about your heart? We are not allowed to say, well, yeah, I mean, I sin with my tongue all the time, but, 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 but I'm a good person. I, I, I have faith in Christ. That is my foundation. And I, and I do all of these good works. But, but yeah, I, I know I sin with my tongue, but, but that does not matter. We can't say that. This is precisely what, what James is talking about. The person who says that, but whose tongue is not controlled, he's saying that their religion is useless. Why is this? This leads to our, our second and final point, which is that Christianity is a heart religion, it's not just about external conformity. Being a doer of the Word is not just an outward conformity to Scripture. It comes from the heart. We we preach to the mind, not to your emotions. We preach to the mind, not to your will. But we preach to the mind, and the mind receives this doctrine which changes the heart, which causes the will to follow. John Owen said that the goal of the Christian life is not external conformity or mindless action, but a passionate love for God, informed by the mind and embraced by the will. Is that your religion? Informed by the mind, embraced by the will. Is that why you do good works? There are so many professing Christians who, who are simply focused on external conformity. There's no passion, there's, there's no passionate love for God, driving obedience to the Scripture, simply external conformity and mindless action. As we saw in verses 22 to 25, obedience to the word is essential. But the point here is that if obedience does not come from the heart, it is useless religion. External conformity will not do. Your heart must be changed and obedience must come from love for God and a desire to serve him. Professing Christian, examine the motives in your life. Why do you do good works? Why are you here tonight? Why do you serve in the church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you conform to the outward practices of Christianity? Is it an attempt to earn salvation? Is it an attempt to impress? To make yourself seem more religious to other people? Is it fear of punishment? Or is it a love for God that drives you to obedience? Dear friends, we must deal with our hearts, making sure that our obedience comes from the heart. Listen to what our Lord told the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish This is what many would do after hearing a message about obeying the Word. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. When you hear a sermon about being a doer of the Word, do you say to yourself, I just need to do things. It doesn't matter about my heart. If you found last week that you were not a doer of the word, the solution was not to say, well, I just need to do, do, do. The solution is to examine the heart and say, is there a real faith there propelling me forward to do good works? We need to do diagnosis. Not just treating the symptoms, but but, but treating the disease. You know, sometimes we do have to force ourselves into doing good things. Force ourselves into serving. Force ourselves into obedience. But, but if, if that's all Christianity is to you, is forcing yourself to do things that you don't want to do, there seems to be a heart issue there. John Gill put it this way. The great concern of all men should be Inward purity. That their hearts be purified by faith in the blood of Christ and sprinkled from an evil conscience by the same. That principles of grace and holiness be formed in them by the Spirit of God. And then their outward lives and conversations being influenced thereby will be honorable and agreeable to their professions. Otherwise... An external reformation or an outward show of holiness and bare pretensions to it without internal grace will never be of any avail in the sight of God. So, true religion is not just an empty profession of faith that does not produce obedience. And true religion is not just doing the word, obeying the word with a wicked heart. But as James will show us in verse 27, true religion contains both purity of heart and obedience in life. The true doer of the word is the one who obeys the word with a pure heart. Faith is the foundation of his works. And his motivation is love to God. He wants to obey him, to be obedient to him. We, we need to be reminded of this so much. Because as humans, we, we always swing Fully in one direction. From one, from, one, from one side to the other. Salvation is by faith. Okay, I'm not doing any more works. You need, to, you need to obey the word. Okay, it's all about obedience now. No, it's in the middle. It's about true, saving faith. And, and again, dear friends, if you find that your heart is not there, you're coming to church, you're obeying as much as you can. You seem to be conforming, but you know from your tongue that your heart is not right. You need to repent and believe. You need to examine your life. This is what James is saying. We can argue all day long how much I understand about Christianity and how solid I think my faith is and and how many good things I do. But the tongue will tell us what's in the heart. Consider that, dear friends. What has your tongue been telling others about Christianity? What does your tongue reveal to your wife or to your husband, about who you really are inside. And, and of course, we, we, we sin, we, we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes. But, but if we are truly changed internally, the majority of our life will be good fruit. Again, a a good tree produces good fruit. That doesn't mean that you don't occasionally find bad fruit there, but the majority of the fruit is good. We must be so careful here. There's such a, a fine line between trying to be a doer of the word and working your way to salvation. This is why we must deal with the heart. We must examine our hearts daily. What are we doing? What drives us? What motivates us? And again, as we will see in verse 27, there must be this balance. We we can't just say that that we we have to be activists. It's all about what we do. We just need to do things and not worry about ourselves. But then at the same time, we, 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 we can't just say that it's all about purity and not about doing. There is this delicate balance. There must be purity. There must be good works together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, that if there is any here who don't know you, help them not to be self-deceived because they are here. Because they do good works. Even because they serve. That you would help us to examine our hearts. That you would help us to examine our speech to know and see what it, what it actually reveals about our hearts. And Father, if our hearts reveal to us, if our, if our speech, rather, reveal to us that our hearts are not right, that we would repent and trust in Christ... And that the new spiritual life within us would lead to obedience to the word. That we would not just be obeying because we think it's the right thing to do, but that we would have a passionate love for you that causes us to serve with with, with zeal, with gladness, with eagerness.